0: I've done dumber things than that, like come on, that, that wouldn't even okay. be in the top 50.
1: Welcome to 31 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the GMC Sierra AT4. Elliot is already en route back home as they are partying Elliot in Montreal. They are partying, well, probably part, not just partying in Montreal, but probably the entire province of Quebec as well, and a lot of pockets in Canada to boot. Montreal Canadiens eliminate the Vegas Golden Knights in six. Arturi Lekanen, the overtime hero, 139 in. Smiles all around behind COVID masks. Luke Richardson, uh, Mark Bergevin. Some of them, anyhow. Um, What I mean, it's such a, I'm always, always love great sights of jubilation like that. Whether it's weddings, whether it's parties, whether it's sporting events, regardless of the sport itself, just the event of fun. And again, this is only getting to the Stanley Cup final, but what a wonderful night for everybody in Montreal and Montreal Canadiens fans, the most storied franchise in all of hockey from coast to coast to coast here in Canada. Your thoughts on what we saw Thursday night.
0: Well, it's awesome. I mean, number one, you know, we're hockey night in Canada. We want to see Canadian representation. We want to see the Canadians do well. I mean, the Canadian teams, not only specifically the Canadians, but this is the Canadians year. And, you know, we've had the rights at Sportsnet for seven years. And this is the first time a Canadian team has made the Stanley Cup final. Mm-hmm. I have said many times my university fin- uh, time finished in 1993. I still don't have my degre- degree degrees. So I always make sure to point out that I finished Western in 93. All I've ever wanted to do is cover a Canadian team, win the Stanley Cup. And I don't know that that's gonna happen this year. It will be, Tampa or the Islanders will be an enormous challenge for the Canadians. But I want to at least get the opportunity to try to witness it. And it's been too long. It had been 10 years since Vancouver was the last team there. Calgary had a shot in my first year at Hockey Night in Canada. That of course was 2004. Then we had Edmonton in 2006 then we had Ottawa in 2007, and then Vancouver in 2011, and now it's Montreal's turn, and I'm excited about the opportunity to see it. I'm excited to cover a series where a Canadian team is is competing for the Stanley Cup, and it it gets my juices flowing.
1: You know, you never make it, no matter what your team is, uh, you never make it to a Stanley Cup final without a lot of stories, with a lot of intrigue, with a lot of human interest. What to Elliot Friedman is interesting about this Montreal Canadiens team?
0: What isn't? You know, wh- where do you want to go? Is it is it Luke Richardson? Is it Dominic Ducharme? Is it Carey Price? Is it Shea Weber? Is it Kaito Kanyemi? Is it Bergevin? Is it? Wh- where do you want to go?
1: Is, is it, it Nick it, Suzuki? And- is it Cole Caulfield who's having Caulfield? The, the year of his life right now, <laughs> Elliot? You know, where,
0: where do you want to go? There's, I mean, is it the fact that we're seeing, you know, to me, it's almost crazy that there's only 3,500 allowed inside the building when you see everybody that's there outside the building well okay it, so let,
1: let's 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 pause on that because we had this conversation on, on hockey central and justin Bourne put this one to you like there's no way that the government's only going to allow 3500 people in the bell center right
0: I, I look that's that's way outside of my purview i i don't know what they're gonna do you know me i i don't put a lot of stock in politicians i I, I don't know what they're going to do. But those scenes were incredible. It's Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day. You know, like I said to you, I have a friend who lives in Montreal. He texted me at 12 noon. He goes, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I'm like, the game doesn't <laughs> start for eight hours. And, you know, I texted him when it went into overtime and I said, how are you? And he goes, I'm holding on. You know, there, there's there's... There's a lot of emotion there. Like, you know, the roller coaster of emotion for Canadians fans. You know, right now, they're, they're all, we knew we were going to do it. How dare you ever doubted us. I can't believe none of you guys ever picked any of us. I said that, you know, my friends from Montreal were saying, you're not allowed to pick us now after the first round. But you think about what it was like when they were down 3-1 to Toronto.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Think about what it was like when they limped into the postseason. You know, Bergevin's moves last summer, there wasn't a lot of agreement with him. There were a lot of people who thought he was crazy. So I think true fans, they live and die with their teams. I totally get it. They react in certain ways to their teams. I totally get it. But just think of how the those Canadian fans felt. Like, again, my friends who live there, They told me, after they fell behind 3-1 in Toronto, just talk radio and everything in Montreal where people, the Canadians Twitter. It was crazy. They couldn't wait to, like, throw the entire Canadian organization into the St. Lawrence Seaway. Mm -hmm. And now they're four wins away from the Stanley Cup. Sports is the best reality show ever, ever. Nothing beats it not the real housewives or what of whatever city, not jersey shore, not the kardashians, sports is the best reality show alive.
1: We're going to talk plenty about the Montreal Canadiens because they still have one more round of the playoffs. They're into the Stanley Cup final. So let me focus in then on the Vegas Golden Knights and yeah. and the obvious what's next questions for these uh for for this team. And by the to way, the by the way, I did is- want to
0: say I want to say a friend of mine who's a huge Leaf fan. He said if it's Montreal versus the Islanders, he's not sure he's going to be able to handle it.
1: <laughs> There's a whole lot of that going around right now uh amongst amongst Maple Leafs fans. But but give me your thoughts on on what's next for the Vegas Golden Knights here. Like I thought that of all the interviews that we saw post game, you know, Mark Stone really wore this one. Yeah, he wore you know, it. Good Mark for him. Stone, Mark Stone wore it. Mark Stone, you know, well, first of all, he said he wasn't hurt. He was really hard on himself. Yeah. You know, the, the line that's gonna endure from Mark Stone's press conference is I got skunked. Yeah. He wore this one. Um and a well, lot of guys guy tried cares, to wear right? He cares and he he wore his emotions every single shift. Like there's you Mark Stone is must be the worst poker player on the planet because he <laughs> wears every single emotion on his face. I don't know if that's true about him in poker, but man, he must be easy to read when it comes to cards. Um, DeBoer talked about how they didn't find another level, and Montreal yeah. was able to find another level. Like mm-hmm. Riley Smith, Alec Martinez, like everybody went out there, Robin Leonard, like everybody went out there and tried to put on the brave face, but as I mentioned, Stone really wore it. He said he wasn't hurt, but you could tell he felt hurt by what happened. Before we get into the specifics of some of the players and what's next, what's your takeaway from Vegas, this series, and their season?
0: You know, I, first of all, I, I think that they continue to set a high standard. You know, they're still an expansion team, really. They've only <laughs> been in the—this is their fourth season.
1: There's, hang on. They're an expansion team, and some people are already saying they need to go through a rebuild.
0: <laughs> I don't know. They're in for. they go Stanley Cup. Unbelievable first round loss, Western final, Final, (laughs) and whatever this is, final
1: four. Clarence Campbell.
0: Yeah, final four. I mean, you know, first of all, Stone, he cares a lot. You can tell. I didn't see where the final numbers ended. It couldn't have been much higher. But he and Pacioretty were going to play the lowest they've ever played in the playoffs this year. And by significant margins, you know, they were... Stone was at 16 minutes after regulation, and Patcharetti was at 14.33. You could see that even their coach felt they didn't have it. Montreal is really hard to play against. Some of their fans didn't like it when I called them Islanders light the other day. Roger Soucy, a Canadian fan on Twitter, he sent me a DM saying we should be Islanders extra strength. So if the Canadians are now in, we know. If the Islanders lose, yes, I'll start calling them islanders extra strength for sure hmm. they're a hard team to play against they make it hard to get to the net they make it hard to get through the neutral zone and you know i thought the most dangerous player for vegas all series the guy who got the puck Pet- yes 100 when he got the puck if i was a canadian or a fan i would have been terrified i thought something was gonna happen every time he touched it um But their forwards dried up. Caulfield scored four goals. Their forwards uh, scored, you know, four goals. And I I just think that I don't know what happened. You know, the one thing is they're the only good team in the NHL and they are a good team who are not strong down the middle. So I wonder if they're gonna look at this series and say that's where we got beat and that's what we have to address. Because mm-hmm. when you look at their offense suddenly drying up, I wonder if they look at themselves down the middle.
1: But that was always the interesting thing about the Vegas Golden Knights. They were built on A good goaltending, B a good blue line, and C the wings. Like that's Speed where they've the that's that, that, yes. Yeah, that's where they've decided to allocate their money. Big dollars to Stone and Patriaretti and Marchus so and Smith. And I mean Down the middle, you're looking at Chandler Stevenson and William Carlson and Nicholas Waugh and Thomas Noshak. Like, none of this screams Stanley Cup, but around them looks like Stanley Cup quality. I always felt that there's not ever just one way to win. That's why I kind of hate this mentality that, you know, whatever is successful the year before, everybody has to chase it and everybody has to do it. I like teams that say, okay, well, that works for them. This is going to work for us. But that is the one thing that I do wonder about. You know, Alex Petrangelo was supposed to be the final piece. That was the last big ticket free agent. That was it, putting them over the hump. They got their guy, and now it was Stanley Cup or bust. I like teams that try different things, but I'm with you on this one. I wonder if they look down the middle and say, maybe we've spent too much money on the wings here and not enough money in the middle.
0: You know, I think too that the thing you know about those guys is Vegas goes after everyone who's big, right? Yes. Like, if, like, if they I remember last summer. Hang on they a were
1: second. Getting, are, you, are you taking this to Jack Eichel territory?
0: Well, you know, I, I, I'm not specifically <laughs> about Eichel, but you know that they'll, they'll be in on anyone who yeah. they think can help them. Yeah. I like believe that, that. You know, that, that's the way they are, it's their DNA. The surest predictor of future behavior is is past behavior, and those guys go after the big fish. No matter who they've got, no matter who they've got, they go after the big fish.
1: Yeah. Um, let me ask you about a couple of situations um, that'll face the Vegas Golden Knights here in the off season. One, um, I can't remember what was the last podcast, the podcast before they all run together now. Alec Martinez... Is an unrestricted free agent and i would have to imagine that something would happen with the goaltending this offseason yeah i i
0: I gotta think so like i I, you know flurry has one more year Leonard's signed long term you know i don't know i i don't know i i just don't know how that's can they come back with the same group i don't know i mean the one thing about flurry and leonard i don't think their relationship is phony like, sometimes I, I see people put on a big show about, look, we get along and we're friends, and I wonder if it's phony. I don't see that one as phony. I see their relationship as being very legitimate. Now, I, I think, obviously, Flurry has some trust issues with the organization. And I, I think that, I mean, the owner loves Flurry, but I think sometimes the hockey ops don't have full trust in Flurry. Yeah. But I think those two can deal with it each other. To me the question becomes is if they if they feel they need to go out and get another piece and it's a piece that carries a big ticket, where do you create the room to add it?
1: Well the the, the one thing we talked about last time is, you know, Martinez is going to probably go somewhere else and Nick Haig is gonna slide into that spot. Right. Yeah. So that's 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 where Nick Hague will be slotted. So there is there's a savings there. But that's not enough to bring in a big ticket. A big ticket player. Um you have to do something with Marc Andre Florina's seven million. Like if you're gonna create cap space, that's the place you have to do it. And well it's one of the other, and, really. And, and 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 listen, like Vegas is in a is in a situation where as weird as it is, and as weird as this is gonna say, they're in the position to be able to Hand over a Vesna Trophy finalist just for the cap space.
0: And you know, we'll. I mean, we'll see what happens. You know, the owner there has always shown tremendous loyalty to Flurry, and Foley is very hands-on. You know, we'll see how it plays out. It almost happened last year. He was mm-hmm. close to going to Pittsburgh. We'll see. But for me, I, just knowing the way Vegas thinks, their aggressive nature and the fact that you have to think they're going to address whatever they consider their weaknesses you know they're they're going to be a team to watch they always are that's their that's their identity now if there's something sparkly or something shiny that they like they're going for it i like an aggressive team in the nhl i think it's good for the league and they're one of them
1: kelly mccrimmon george McPhee. this is an aggressive squad more on vegas in the days and weeks to come here on the podcast Um, So, the Montreal Canadiens will face off against either the Tampa Bay Lightning or the New York Islanders. This one is going to a Game 7, but let's rewind to Game 6 and a couple of hot buttons in this one. One, uh, the Coliseum itself, which was fantastic and what a great finish at the end with beer tins and even a shoe on the ice. Uh, do
0: you remember when Curtis Lazar ate the hamburger?
1: Of course. How could I forget that? For I am the, disappointed for, for Andrew that None Andrew of those Hammond. islanders. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah, I Andrew am Hammond. disappointed that none of those islanders picked, picked up, up a one beer? of those cans of beer and uh, you, know, you don't put it to your lips because that would be disgusting. But uh, you like pour the beer out of the can into your mouth. Would you do that? I, I've done dumber things than that. <laughs> like come on. That that wouldn't even okay. be in the
1: top fifty. Okay, fair, fair point. Um, so to that game six though, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning go up two nothing, but they don't just go up two nothing, Elliot. They go up two nothing after killing off a five on three. Sorelli scores, and everybody is thinking this thing is over. Like yep. what an emotional gut punch, right? You have a five on three, you have a chance to jump back into this. Tampa kills it off, and Anthony Sorelli scores dagger, right? not so yep. fast Eberly and then Mayfield with the best shot of his life. And then Anthony Bavillier wins this thing in overtime. You have a quick thought on game six in advance of game seven tonight.
0: Well, it was an incredible game. It really was an incredible game. One of the best games of the playoffs. I mean, Mayfield, I mean, for half the world a villain for half the world, a hero. I mean, if you're a writer, like a great writer, that is the storyline that you are you dream about being handed. You know, first of all, whatever you think about the penalties or, the, or what I was called, I just want to say Scott Mayfield. That guy deserves a lot of credit. He has turned himself into a player. Yep. And a, a long shot, just a guy who has developed into a, a heck of a player. You know. For me, one of the most fascinating things that that happened was actually on the day off between game six and seven. And that is, there was a lot of private. Like, first of all, the biggest question hanging over this series is what is going to happen with Kucherov? You know, is is he going to play game seven? Because their power play, when Matt Martin got that penalty and. Kucherov wasn't on that power play. Palat had one great pass to point, and it was a glorious chance, but it just wasn't as dangerous. Kucherov is so good. He can make any play anywhere on the ice and find anyone on the ice. That power play was just not the same without him there.
1: The one thing you notice right away is no yeah. one on that team, and they handed it seemed like they handed the whole power play zone entry over to Braden Point, who's really good. But nobody gets the zone as efficiently and seemingly yes. as easily as Nikita Kucherov. Like he gets the zone, sets up smoother than maybe anybody else in the league. Elliot, it's it's frightening. I, I agree with it's that. It's frightening. Like I that, agree with that, that that's that's where Tampa really. I mean, outside of like the guy finds seams that nobody else seems to seems to be able to find. But just the fact that he how easily he gets the zone. Um, yes, it's, uh, it's I think such it's a luxury. true. Such a luxury. So you're sorry, you were saying that I, was the big and cloud I think they're over good everything. Enough.
0: I think they're good enough as a team to win without them. I just think it's much, much harder. And, the yeah. pow- and they're going to have to find something on the power play. But, you know, one of the things that was wild in the off day between game six and seven was, I guess there was a lot of jockeying for opinion on how Kucherov got hurt. And, you know, we don't know what the injury is right now. And I I, I don't question injuries. Like if, if that guy's leaving the game, he's legit hurt. But I heard there was quite a battle because, you know, first of all, I think if you're Tampa, you're trying to see, you know, should Mayfield get extra punishment, which isn't happening. But B, if you're the Islanders, you're defending him against the fact that that should even occur. And I heard there was a lot of joking about, and I got some of it, about how was Kucherov actually hurt? You know, some of us wondered, was it on the cross-check? Well, I think we all wondered if it was on the cross-check, but some people were saying for sure it was the cross-check. And then some of us also wondered, did he maybe get hurt on the play where he tried to hit Barzell and Barzell was ready for him? And I guess... You know, people were claiming that where he was really injured was when he, I guess, his elbow or his arm hit the boards, and maybe that's where he got injured. So apparently behind the scenes, there was a lot of this jockeying going around about where Kucherov was actually injured. It was a fascinating day. A couple people were, were telling me about it. But, you know, to me, I think Tampa's good enough they can win without him, but it's a huge loss. It's a hard loss, and I-, I think it's an enormous challenge. You know, to me, you know, there's a couple guys in Tampa I look at. Number one, Vasilevsky, after a loss, he's unbelievable. You know, a guy I kind of laughed a-, a bit and felt bad for was, was John Puchigros. When it was 2 nothing, and the uh, Lightning ran into penalty trouble, he sent out a tweet saying, you can call 100 penalties, they're not scoring. And I felt the exact same thing, and they won. And you know, you know, Vasilevsky's going to come back big time in Game Seven. The other thing too is is that you know, Chris Johnson reported a little while ago that Headman wasn't healthy. Yep, he's clearly not healthy. Jeff, do you remember how he dominated the playoffs last year?
1: Of course, he was the best player on the ice. I haven't
0: seen that against the Islanders. Yeah, and I wonder what's the Headman. What's he going to come out with in game? I just, I have a feeling he's going to have a monster game. Like, I've said this a million times I do not bet against the Islanders. They come at you the same way over and over and over again, especially if Kucherov can't play. I'm looking at Vasilevsky and I'm looking at Hedman, and I I just think they're going to come out with monster performances on Friday night.
1: One final thought on this one, and I want to go back to to Scott Mayfield, um, because that game, in a lot of ways, was all about him, whether it was the goal, whether it was the controversy with the cross-check on Kucherov, and let's not forget too, going hard at Steven Stamkos at the end of the period. That's got Mayfield too. Like to me, Mayfield's fingerprints are all over. Like Mayfield is one of the key reasons why we are going to a game seven. No, no
0: doubt about it. Like I, I think honestly, he's number one on the list.
1: Yeah. Okay, Elliot. To to wrap up the conversation about Tampa and New York here, I want to get your thoughts on what we saw after Bavillier scored. And, you know, you talked about the tins on the ice and the shoe and all that kind of stuff from the celebration. How much of that? Cause I'm always interested in trying to read crowds and get into people's heads and try to feel, yeah. imagine what they are feeling. I don't know about yeah. you, but one of my great dreams, I would just love to live my life. Just, I love to live one day as another person, just to be able to see the world in a different way, have different feelings, <laughs> see different things. I always try to get myself in the head of people at certain events. How much of that outpouring for Anthony Bavillier was, A, just about the goal because we're going yeah. to Game 7, and how much of it do you think was Islanders fans saying, if this is the last playoff game ever at the Coliseum, we want to send it off the right way here? That's kind of what I felt, Fridge.
0: Yeah, maybe. I, I think it's more, A, and then you know, one person does it and the crowd's riled up and then just, you know, it, it's like it's like the stuff we used to excuse is boys will be boys. And now we're like, Oh my God, that's really not smart. You know, I think it's one of those things that if we ever, first of all, the Coliseum right now is kind of like the house guest that won't leave. We keep running <laughs> goodbye pieces, and oh, this could be our last game. And how great's the Coliseum? and They don't make uh, it like anyone. Oh, wait, there's another one. Like, yeah. it's, it's, I'm sure if there's another one, it'll the reaction will be this is fantastic. We've won again. This time, maybe we don't throw all the beer
1: on the ice. <laughs> uh okay we'll look forward to game seven later on tonight or i guess whenever depending on when you listen to this podcast maybe it's already happened the other news around the nhl on Thursday. No,
0: you're listening to this if we're going to all this effort to make this car cast yeah. then you're going to listen to it before the game come on audience People. by the way i i do want to say and i should have done it sooner thank you to mike rogerson who is yeah our audio engineer for this one, Amal is still off this week after he and Joe had the beautiful baby. So, and we weren't supposed to do card cast, but we said we, with a Canadian team going for the Stanley Cup in Game Six, we yeah. have to do a card cast. And Mike stepped up, and we really appreciate it.
1: Mike, your top drawer, bud. Um, thank you very much for this because doing a card cast. Can can happen. hold on, what are. happened
0: here? Hold on! Hold on! Hold on!
1: Okay, the other big bit of news on Thursday um, happened early and was kind of surprised for a lot of people, and as the name Dave Haxtall kind of caught a lot of people off guard. Nonetheless, there he is, the first head coach for the Seattle Kraken. On the surprise scale, where does this one rank for you? We all talked about Rick Tockett, Andre Twoney. What's the scale? like? What's the
0: scale go to here?
1: Uh, I mean, in hockey, we always use Gretzky trade as the ultimate shocker. Okay, um, you want to not w- that one one to Gretzky trade.
0: That nothing's like that. Um, on a scale of one to ten, I would still say it's about a twenty. You know, you know, s- someone said to me today, Jeff, that you know, last Saturday on headlines, you did Seattle coaching and Toronto coaches having interviews. Like, re- are you that stupid that you couldn't put the two of them together?
1: Or were you we just trying to tell us something? No, <laughs> no, no, no,
0: no, 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 I didn't. W-
1: I, wink, I thought if wink, anywhere, Haxlill was
0: interviewing in Buffalo. That's what ca- I thought.
1: Cough twice if the answer is yes. Cough once no. if the answer is no.
0: <laughs> That's one cough. <laughs> um. No, I, I thought if anywhere, Haxlill was interviewing in Buffalo because, you know, Buffalo's got a big... USA Hockey leaned to it. And even though Haxtell's Canadian, he coached in North Dakota, right? So yep. if anything, I, I figured that was it. Um, so this is what happened. Basically, the night before they made the announcement, before they they, they sent out a press release saying they are having a press conference, and earlier that day, that was Tuesday, or sorry, Wednesday, I had heard that Tockett was not going to get it. They, they were leaning away from him. Now, I didn't get that confirmed until Thursday morning. So I did my serious radio hit on Thursday morning, and they said it's gotta be talk it. And I said, no, I, I don't think it is. And you know, some people heard that, and I wasn't didn't want to tweet that out because you want to chase out and find out who it is. And it was not long after that someone started saying to me, check it on Haxtel. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like Ron Francis, he's really vaulty. Um, you know, Tony, they interviewed Granado, that got out. They interviewed Talkett. that got out. They interviewed Gallant, that got out. They interviewed Joe Sacco, that got out. Um, I think the one name they interviewed that we didn't hear was Haxtel. And you know, when the news started to get out, I was 99% sure it was Haxtel, but you always have that slight doubt, right? And that doubt nagged at me. And I, I, I was just really careful. And, um, you know, it is a big surprise. That caught a lot of people by surprise. And, you know, the 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 reason is, you know, I just don't think that Haxtell was was high on a lot of lists. And that doesn't mean that Ron Francis is wrong. Like, he knows him. They were together at the 2019 Worlds. It doesn't mean that Ron Francis is wrong or Seattle is wrong. I just think that on a lot of lists, he wouldn't have been as high on them as he was on Ron Francis's. And, you know, I should have said this earlier. I I do want to say this now. I'm very curious to hear what this run is going to do for Luke Richardson. You know, Luke Richardson, when that icing went against Montreal, it shouldn't have been an icing in overtime. Burroughs is freaking out and Richardson is calm. And he has been calm on that bench. You know, it's going to be really interesting to see you know, I think Ducharme obviously is coming back, but what's this going to mean for Richardson? You know, his—you know—is he going to start to rise at to the top of list? He's been a guy who's really been passed over, kind of forgotten man in some ways that Haxtell kind of was in Toronto. Now Haxtell gets this huge opportunity, and I, I'm curious to see what this is going to mean for Richardson.
1: Hmm. He's um. You know, I'm team cheer for people and he's top of the yeah. list for the, uh, for the Montreal Canadiens. I, I could not be more happy for that guy. And if it, listen, if it leads to, to greater, bigger things for him, then amen. Because that guy and that family very much deserves it. When you look at Dave Haxtall with the Seattle Kraken and you think about the hire from Ron Francis's point of view, Ron Francis is a very... Quiet and thoughtful person. Do we say the same thing about Dave Haxtell?
0: Oh, yeah. So basically, if the two finalists were Dave Haxtell and Rick Tockett, which I think they were, they're two, could you get two more diametrically opposed people?
1: Mm.
0: You know, Tockett is emotion. He played on emotion. He pushes people. He, you know, the, the one thing I don't like, there's a narrative here on talk it that he's anti analytics or doesn't, isn't interested in analytics. You know, Arizona tried a lot of different things and the people who worked there told me he was incredibly open-minded about them. Mm -hmm. You know, he listened, he, he, he was happy to take everything into account. So I don't think that's a fair narrative. You know, I like obviously there's two coaching opportunities left. He's not going back to Arizona. I mean, we'll see if there's any interest on on Buffalo's part. Tockett is, you know, he's got a lot of people who really like him in the league. We'll see where this goes. Haxtell is more cerebral. Um, he's a thinker. He's, you know, when when I asked some people today what was the best thing about Haxtell in Philadelphia. They said the best thing he did was the Giroux move to wing. They said that he that was the he he planned it out, he convinced them, he said, these are my reasons, and you know, they it turned out to be great. I think that the challenge for overly cerebral people in hockey is that it's an emotional game. And we're seeing in the playoffs that it's an emotional game. And I and what they said to me about Haxel is he can put a game plan together he can tell you why he believes you should be doing what you're doing but when the emotions become a factor that's where he needed to sometimes you have to be able to make guys want to run through walls for you Mm -hmm. it's very clear for me that the montreal canadians and the new york islanders in particular they will run through walls for the people behind their bench right and i think that that's what haxtell needs to tap into and he needs to improve on. And that's going to be key. And I believe everybody deserves a second chance to show where they messed things up the first time or where things didn't work the first time. This will be Haxtell's chance to show that, yes, I've got the cerebral. Now could I bring the emotional?
1: Okay, so now, and 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 I'm with you on that one. they will be always curious to see how someone works in their second go around with it. Um, on the horizon, the expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken. And I wonder if this is an indication that, and I'll just state the obvious for the obvious reasons, does the hiring of Dave Hackstall mean that the Seattle Kraken at the expansion draft will select TJ Oshie from the Caps, James Van Reemsdyke from the Flyers, and Travis Dermott from the Maple Leafs, if they have the opportunity to do so. Because Haxtell coached all three of them. Boy,
0: you're really big into the conspiracy theories, eh?
1: Yeah, this is kind of an obvious one, though, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I, I like, first of all, I'll, t- I'll tell you this. I, I know there's some other teams who think that it's more likely Toronto loses Kerfoot, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kerfoot's a Western guy and he's a center. Um, you know, I do think that Seattle's going to go big on the blue line. That's because that's what Ron Francis did when he was in Carolina. I do think they want to maintain financial flexibility. And, you know, Oshie's deal, it's tougher to maintain financial flexibility. I have no doubt Haxtell's going to have a vote. I have no doubt he's going to say, I'd love this guy or that guy. But still, Seattle's not doing anything to help anyone else unless they have incentive to do it. That's number one. So what's the incentive to do this or not do this? And number two, I the only thing I wonder about with o, in Oshi's case is do they want to maintain financial flexibility, and he still got some term.
1: Okay, um, so one of the follow-ups then is what does this mean for the bench situation now in Toronto with Dave Haxtell now removed? Um, well, I,
0: I think there'll be a lot of interest. I do. Yeah. Um. You know, it's Toronto's. Toronto pays well. They support you well in terms of resources. Um, you know the rewards are high if you succeed there. Um, if I was a player or a coach, I'd love to play in a place like Toronto or Montreal because, yes, the challenges are great when you're not doing well, but I look at it the other way. The rewards are great when you're successful. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just feel that uh, I think there'll be a lot of interest. You know, I had one guy text me today. He says that the Leafs were smart. You know, Richardson, is. I'm not sure about his contract situation, Um, I think it's up after this year. Um, they were like, if they were Toronto, first of all, before this turns into a fiasco, Montreal's not going to let him go anywhere. He doesn't want to (laughs) go, but they were like, if they were Toronto, they'd be stealing Luke Richardson.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, look, I, I think that, I think they're going to have options there because they pay well, they give you good resources and the rewards are higher. If you do well there,
1: Mm -hmm. you know, one of the names that, um, that we all thought, going back to when Sheldon Keefe first got the job after Mike Babcock was fired, um, that we should expect to see on the bench is someone who's been with Sheldon Keefe going back to the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds days of the OHL and is now an assistant with the Toronto Marlies, and that's A.J. McLean. Do you think it's that level of replacement, or are we looking at someone with more of a lengthy pro-slash-NHL resume?
0: I think it's going to be... Like I wonder like, would they ever promote the other guy on their on the AHL bench Davison
1: Rob Davison yeah
0: yes like, put it this way everybody available is gonna be sending a resume
1: does that include Bruce, does that include Bruce Boudreaux?
0: you know he'd love to coach in Toronto
1: <laughs> I do know that
0: or um, whatever passes for a resume
1: these days. uh okay uh, just to wrap things up here one um, one final thought um about the situation in Vancouver with Henrik and Daniel the Sedins. Are
0: you doing this for Mike because he's a Canucks
1: fan? I'm doing this for Mike as a uh, thank you for stepping in for Amel. I'm also doing this because we haven't talked about the Sedins and their new roles and my pie in the sky dream of one day we see a team with not one but two general managers.
0: Well, if any if anything would do it, it would be this. I just think I'm really curious to see how this evolves over the next year. Like their true influence and the true meaning of what this is. I don't think we're going to know in the short term. I think we're going to know in the long term. I'm sure they're going to be asked their opinion. I'm mm-hmm. sure they're going to give their opinions when asked. I, I just think that when do they decide if they want to do this, really do this?
1: The, the, the question that I have, maybe even before that is, how much time do you think they need to spend, if any? Like, maybe the answer is, well, none. I mean, they're the Sedins, and they've been around hockey their entire lives. How much time do they need to learn what goes into running an organization if before, they, before no. they feel comfortable doing something?
0: First of all, I don't believe that those guys would be so naive and so egomaniacal to believe that they know everything there is to know. That's number one. Number two, I've told this story before, I think, about Iserman, and that is that a guy I know, when Iserman got the job, in Detroit. He just said, "Like he's an old school guy. And he just said, oh, another former player getting handed a job and going to be able to do whatever they want and not really work. This guy would go into some dingy arena and Iserman would be there. This guy would be at some event and Iserman would be there. And he said, you know what? Like I have to take that back. I really wanted to hate this guy, but he's putting the work in. And, and I think a lot of the people who are really serious about it Mm-hmm. They put the work in. And I just don't think that the Sedins, who never took a shortcut in their careers, would ever say it would be acceptable for them to be managers without doing everything.
1: Mm-hmm. What does it mean for the short term?
0: Like, for example, like, like if, if if Jim Benning walks in there and says, I want to sign this player, the Sedins going to say no. They're going to offer their opinion. Now, this is what I think this is what I think it could mean is, you know, I think ownership there wields a big stick and they're heavily involved in a lot of the decision making. I could see ownership saying to them, "What do you think?" So, are the Sedins going to say no? Maybe not. But if they say, "I'm not sure" or "I would say this" and it's not enthusiastic, what does ownership do with that?
1: So then automatically you have that friction then between the Sedins and Jim Benning.
0: I don't think it's going to be, no, I think, I think friction is the wrong term to use because I I think like I had heard that they were quite comfortable working with Benning. Um, I had heard that, um, you know, they didn't want to come in and people necessarily to be fired because they were coming in. I like. I had heard they'd actually said that they didn't think that was a good idea because they still had to learn the business, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't like. I don't look at it as friction. I see them as offering their opinions. Like for example, let's just say Jim Benning wants to sign Jeff Merrick, right? Wise and,
1: move. Wise move. Yes. Jim. Well done. Well and done, the, Benji. And, the, and
0: the twins say that's insane. That would be the stupidest thing we could ever do.
1: Now oh, what do they know With, anyway?
0: <laughs> then I could see, you know, I could see ownership saying, "Well, I'm nah. I'm really interested in their opinion." I don't do you, think look, the, they're not in there to submarine Jim Banning. That's just not who they are. But I I do think ownership will listen to their opinion.
1: Do you know whose idea this was? That's a great question. You see, here here he, here's why. Like I'm just trying to think of from from Jim Banning's point of view. If it's Jim Benning's idea, well, then, hey, there's more voices around the table. It's someone that I trust, someone that I brought in. I don't, I don't to...
0: see that as being the case. I think they felt that's this year. What,
1: that's what I think. That's yeah, what this I year at was I, such
0: I, a nightmare in the way that a lot of things got dealt with that I, I just think they looked at it like we need something else here.
1: That's where I look at it and I say if I'm Jim Benning, all of a sudden, I didn't ask for this.
0: And, and I think, but the thing is like, that's, but like, I don't think that has to be the end of the world. Like that's life.
1: Jeff, look sure. at our own jobs. No, I know. Listen, I look, I how I many I, times I have listen, we had Elliot. I get that things things it's life, but this, this is, yeah. I, I get that it's life, but this is also, this is also how a human being feels. Like if you're Jim Benning here, how are you feeling about this move publicly? He's going to put on the brave face and talk about how it's wonderful. And the Siddines are, are, you know, valued, people and valued hockey minds etc but you're not dumb you know what's gone on and you know why the sedins are, are being brought in here right now i don't know i just i'm I, I try to think of things from as many viewpoints as as possible no from i i understand and i'm just thinking if i'm if i'm jim benning as much as i'm saying all the right things publicly i didn't ask for this you know that that may
0: that may be true but you know what my my way of thinking in life jeff is it's not what you ask for it's what you get and how are you going to play the hand that you got there's only the the best thing for everyone in the canucks organization to do is look at it and say i better be prepared to make this work Mm -hmm. because you know look look what happened with lyndon okay Linden's gone, and he left under controversial circumstances, a very po- popular former player, and some reputations took a beating because of it. Yeah. It, it never, you know, it, it, it whether, who, it didn't matter who was right or who was wrong, you know, it, it, it was a constant source of conversation ever since the day Linden left, right? Yeah. So, are you going to let that happen again or are you going to find a way to make it work
1: for Vancouver's sake? It's best. They find a way to make it work.
0: And I just think those guys, I think those guys are smart guys. I love their answer about why are we here? We're here because we love the Canucks and we want to make it work. They're like who, like who thinks those guys are liars. I w when they say that, I think it's completely true that it's not about ego for them. It's not about making themselves look good. It's about making it work. And they're going to try to make it work.
1: And we wish them luck. And we wish the Vancouver Canucks luck. Um, Once again, it'll be poised. That team will be poised to become one of the more interesting teams in the offseason. And now the Sedin factor is thrown into all of it. Anything else before we wrap up? We have a Game 7 tonight. Uh, The Montreal Canadiens punched their ticket uh, first time they're in the final, going back to 1993 when they beat the Los Angeles Kings. You have a final thought on a a day that began with Seattle news and ended with a big celebration in Montreal.
0: What a day! What a day! And like I said, nothing bad about seeing a Canadian team compete for the Stanley
1: Cup. Congratulations! Uh, you're either gonna month. love
0: it or you're gonna hate watch it. That's there's no in
1: between. <laughs> Uh, and we'll find out who they play later on tonight as the New York Islanders face off against the Tampa Bay lightning. We have a game seven in the meantime. Thanks for listening. Once again, to 31 thoughts, the podcast, we appreciate the downloads. We appreciate your time. We appreciate you. And we appreciate Mike Rogerson, as Elliot mentioned, stepping in for Emil Delich, who's doing the best job in the world right now. Mm -hmm. uh, Emil, I really hope you're not listening to this goofy podcast. Um, Way to go, Dad. On that, we'll wrap up. Thanks so much for listening to 31 Thoughts, the podcast. Back in a few more days with a fresh one. Enjoy.